Closer Look is a public affairs presentation. Views and opinions of the guests don't always reflect the views of the ministry, and some topics aren't suitable for children. K-Love is committed to community. Closer Look continues with a look at local agencies, events, and issues. Welcome to Closer Look. I'm Ed Linane here in Washington at the Capitol Hill office of Congressman Mike Kelly, who represents Pennsylvania's 16th District. Congressman serves on the House and Ways and Means Committee, included within that various subcommittee duties on topics like health and oversight. He's also a member of various congressional caucuses, including, but not limited to, things like manufacturing, automotive, jobs, prayer, pro-life, foster youth, and childhood cancer. I don't know when he sleeps. He's married to Victoria. Between them, they've got four children and 10 grandchildren. Congressman, thanks for letting us stop by today. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. And thanks for recognizing my my wife and, and uh, you know, our children and our grandchildren because it's just an incredible part of our life. It is indeed. Well, congratulations on your recent reelection as you now begin your fifth term in office. You're not far away from a decade under your belt of being a member of Congress. So you feel like uh, you got a few things figured out here now? Well, you know what? I don't think I have a few things figured out. I really don't because every day is something new. Uh, and especially the world we live on today, things that I always thought were pretty much made common sense. I'm finding out now they don't. And so a lot of those things have to do with pro-life issues. I'm actually shocked at where the country is right now and where the nation is. It's just not who we who we are or where we should be. So, so am I used to being here? I'm used to being here. I really enjoy being here. There's... Uh, there's never really a bad day. There's days that are sometimes busier than others, but it's all good stuff. Your background includes automotive dealer ownership and, of course, very active in the uh, automotive industry overall. And it's my understanding that played a part in spurring you on to originally run for office, right? really did because uh, at, uh, back in 2009, 2010, federal government had made a decision. Uh, they bailed General Motors out of a bad situation, of which, by the way, General Motors has paid back. All, everything that the taxpayers put into it. But one of the results of that bailout was the government then made selections on taking away certain dealer franchises. I was one of the dealers that were out there that got a letter, a 39-page letter, saying, we really appreciate the fact that you've had a family business since 1953 and that you've been selling all these cars and trucks, but from here on in, you won't be a Cadillac dealer anymore. Uh, and at that point, I had the opportunity to go to arbitration fight to keep the store, a uh, store that my mother and father started, a store that I bought from my father in 1997. And uh, we've had a long history in our, in our town of, uh, of being part of something really that we thought was important to the, to the town. So having the government come in and say, we're going to take that from you, uh, was just something I never figured would happen in my life. But you know, when, when you're faced with something like that, you have to go and you have to fight for it. Uh, we fought and we won. Uh, but then that brought me then into politics where I thought, if this can happen to me, Mike Kelly and Little Butler, Pennsylvania, a federal government can step in and take your business away from you for no reason, it's time to get up and go, go to war. So <laughs> that's how it all started. Uh, went to arbitration, won the arbitration, got to keep the franchise, but then ran for Congress uh, slightly after that and got elected. I think you would agree, speaking of being elected, that this most recent election was probably your toughest. What did you attribute that to? Well, I attribute it to a couple things. First of all, midterm uh, elections are always tough when a new president comes in. Uh, But uh, what really interfered with it is the fact that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court decided to do redistricting, which means they completely changed all the districts about three weeks in front of a primary, which was very unfair to our constituents. And I really, you know, what, what my main concern was, constituents didn't know 
what district they were going to be voting in, who who they would be voting for, and it was created a lot of confusion. So, you know what that that was a hard part. And then the top of the ticket didn't perform real well, uh, but that's part of that's part of politics. So it made it a little more difficult for us. The road to victory uh, was brought about by teamwork and a lot of folks that believe in us, uh, that work with us, and got us across the finish line. So I know that the debate over gerrymandering still continues. Uh, how do you think all that's going to play out? But you know what? Because the way the law works, a lot of laws work uh, is based on precedence. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court, I thought, uh, did something that was very dangerous and started down a road that maybe really can be hard to pull back. I was really disappointed that the federal Supreme Court didn't say, looking at Pennsylvania's Constitution, there's nothing in that Constitution that says judges will draw the districts. What happened with Pennsylvania was the state Supreme Court meddled in a federal election. I really thought that the Supreme Court of the United States would step in and say, you know what, if you want to deal with matters and they're within the constitutional rights of of what you you have jurisdiction over, that's fine. This is not. I thought they were going to step in and say you can't do that until after the next census when there will be a redistricting that takes place. But when it comes to gerrymandering, it really comes down to, so who is it that's deciding it's been gerrymandered? Now, and that's going to be up for question now all the time. I think it's always going to call into question anytime we uh, we do a redistricting after a census, people are going to say, wait a minute, there's a precedent here that says it's not, if it's not fair, the, the courts can step in. But the courts have absolutely no place in the Pennsylvania Constitution, the, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, to, to actually go in and draw districts. That's not who they, any of the responsibilities they've been given or the jurisdictions that they have. They did get away with it. But it's, we're watching it happen around the country right now. This is a very dangerous time for the nation because we have law being handed down from the bench as opposed to being interpreted by the bench. So this is a dangerous time for us. So as you begin, uh, or actually you're into your fifth term now, do you feel like you've accomplished some of the early goals that you set when you first came to office? And, and what's going to be big on the radar for you now this term? Do you know what? I think the same things are on the radar that were on the radar when I first came here. What Number one was... Uh, the upside-down way that the government works. I come from the private sector where you know you pretty much have to be watching what you're spending and live within your means. In governments, governments can spend any money. Federal government, state has to have a balanced budget, but the federal government can operate at any level at once uh, and don't have to work within a budget that makes sense that they can actually sustain. So that was always my concern, the runaway spending. Uh, the other things were the fact that too much of what's happening in our country today are decisions being made by the government for the people as opposed to the people saying, look, we don't need you to step into our life and make decisions for us. Kind of like our freedom and our liberty. And I think the whole country was based on that from day one. Uh, This is is an aberration of what we are or who we are as a people. So I think my message to voters all the time is please remember one thing. There's not one person sitting in any office that just went in and sat down. They ran for office and the people elected them. Make sure you understand who it is that's running. Make sure you look into their background and understand it. And then make sure you get out and vote and at least register what it is that you believe. Don't sit back and say things aren't going the right way, uh, but they'll probably work themselves out on their own. That will never happen. That's a, that's a formula for disaster. So I really uh, like to see people get more involved at every level, whether, whether it's their town, whether it's their township, whether it's their county, their state, or their federal government. It's really incumbent upon our citizens to get totally immersed into what it is that this government's like and their responsibility as being part of that.
You're listening to Closer Look. I'm Ed Lenane here in Washington, talking with Congressman Mike Kelly from Pennsylvania's 16th District. Let's take a quick look at the district itself, Congressman. Uh, you've been touting recently some economic success stories in this uh, district, including in downtown Erie. You credit that to the use of the Opportunity Zones, right? You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we can talk a little bit about it. Part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was Opportunity Zones. And what Opportunity Zones do through tax strategy, we're allowing private investors to go into areas of the communities that they would never go into before because, quite frankly, there wasn't any incentive for them to go there. So what they're saying, we're telling them is you can make your investment now. You can get that that, that community back up, certain parts of it. Now, in Erie, Pennsylvania, we have eight opportunity zones right now uh, and, and 16 overall in the, in the whole district that I represent. But again, looking at a situation where nobody was going in there anymore and they were failing. One of our zip codes, 16052, is one of the poorest zip codes in the entire country. They're gonna, that's, they're gonna, we're gonna be able to breathe life back into that community and make sure that the people that live there understand there is a future. So, but looking across the board, if you were to look at Erie, Pennsylvania, you would say that in four decades, in 40 years, we haven't had the employment that we have today. We have the lowest unemployment in four, four, four decades, 40 years, in Erie. Now that's an incredible achievement. We see wages rising. We see more than anything else, people having a better idea of what the future is going to be, more optimistic about that future. And it's all because of tax strategy and tax policy in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, an incredible boost to the economy, not just not just in Erie, Pennsylvania, but across the country. So rising wages, people having more take-home pay, people looking to the future and say, you know what? We've got investors coming back in our community. They're showing that they have faith in us, and they're optimistic, and that makes us feel optimistic. Uh, manufacturing, trade, very yes. important to the district and to Pennsylvania overall, with small business ownership as part of your background. How about a quick report card? Where do we stand on that from your viewpoint? Well, yeah, I, th- I think, again, I'll go back to where, where people's psyche is. They're, they're more optimistic now. People usually, uh, they make decisions based on what they think the future holds for them. If it doesn't look too great, they'll, they'll pull back. They'll be more conservative. If they think the future is good and they think that they, what they can do something today and they'll be able to stay employed, they'll, they'll make those decisions, which really puts investment back in our communities. But I think more than anything else, especially under this administration, the last two years have been an incredible, uh, the, the economy has taken up, the trajectory is just incredible. We have people that say it's not as good as it could be. But the perfect is always the enemy of the good. I just say, well, what was it like a couple years ago? Last month, you reintroduced a bill in the House called the Family Savings Act of 2019. You're a co-author on a bill that seeks to improve retirement savings. You've begun again the House Retirement Security Caucus. So savings, a big theme here. So let's talk about why you believe there's such a need for that kind of legislation. Well, I I think if you look at the figures across the board, there is uh, a feeling that most parents, I think, the, the latest figure I saw was there's less than uh, 60% of Americans have $1,000 cash, not not access to credit, but $1,000 cash in their savings account that if an emergency were to arise, that they, they would be prepared for it. The other thing is we go into retirement years. If we're not prepared for retirement, the burden then goes on the next the generation that follows us and sometimes a generation after that generation. What we're looking at with the retirement piece really is allowing taxpayers to keep more of their own money, this is pre-tax money, going into retirement plans that they will have access to when they reach a certain age. 
And I've always thought, you know, it's there was the old adage that my parents used all the time. It wasn't, it came down to this. It wasn't, it's not how much you make, it's how much you save. So spend wisely and understand that every every dollar you save today is a dollar that you'll have later on in life. And the other thing, my parents, and I, this, I learned this from them. My parents used to worry about being a burden on myself and my four brothers, or my three brothers and two sisters. And I said, you know what? Parents should never worry about that. They were worried about being a burden on us. And I thought, my gosh, they've done everything they can to prepare us for life. They should never think that would be a burden. But by doing retirement and savings and making sure that people can keep more, and this is all taxpayer money. This is The people that made it should be able to keep it. The people that made it should be able to save it. The people that made it should be able to set it aside and not be penalized for doing that. So the whole retirement program and the savings piece is all about getting ready for retirement making us feel better about who we are and more stable financially going into our senior years. You're listening to Closer Look. I'm Ed Lenane. We're here in Washington in the office with Congressman Mike Kelly from Pennsylvania's 16th District. I want to highlight a few of the other congressional caucuses that you're involved with, things like pro-life, prayer, foster youth, and childhood cancer. I sense a thread here, faith, service, family, maybe even some personal experience as well. You want to talk about this? Well, you know, I, I, I will tell you on the on the... On the cancer side of it, uh, I'm a Hyundai automobile dealer. Hyundai, 20 years ago, started a program called Hope on Wheels. Hope on Wheels, what it means is that we will look at the cars that we sell, and we will set aside funds to help uh, in the fight against pediatric cancer. Hyundai last year reached a, a point of $145 million that was donated back into the into the clinics to help doctors who were doing the research to stamp out pediatric cancer. Our, our goal really is that no parent, no grandparent, no family member will ever have to hear that your child has cancer. Uh, the rate right now is about a little bit over 80% of children survive childhood cancer. But on the survival rate, keep, keep in mind that as they get into their later years, they become susceptible to, to other, other illnesses because uh, of what's taken place during their treatment years. So we work on that all the time. But really when it comes to, to faith, um, I've been blessed my whole life. I, I, I used to tell people I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Uh, and, uh, and, I, and I realized that that was the wrong statement. And I would say that uh, to my friends. I say, you know how lucky we were growing up to have the parents, the preachers, the teachers, the coaches that raised us. Boy, we were the luckiest generation in the world. And I was at my 50th class reunion. And one of the, one of the people I graduated with uh, said to me, so you, you think we were lucky? I said, oh, Absolutely. Don't you? She goes, no, I don't think we were lucky at all. I said, you don't think we were lucky? Are you kidding me? Looking back in our lives, growing up when we grew up in the town that we grew up in, the friends and everybody around us, you don't think we're lucky? She says, no, I don't think we were lucky at all. I said, so then what were we, Linda? She goes, we were blessed. And I said, you know what? I'll never use the term lucky again when I talk about my childhood years, when I talk about my parents, my grandparents, and that extended family that helped raise me. Uh, But I think that the nation right now is, again, at a pivot point right now. I never, ever thought that we would hear people uh, talk about infanticide and saying, well, this is okay. Uh, we're going to make these decisions. That, that life, and I have a pin on right now, this is always about protecting the unborn. Uh, I, I'm just amazed at the fact that as a culture, we've changed who we are. I just, that's never been something that I could comprehend. But people will say, well, it's pro-choice. But I know this, and you know too. Pro-choice people now, they're, cho- they're choosing life. And, and greater numbers, but it gets to the point of if I can't talk about pro-life, if I can't talk about the unborn, if I can't talk about protecting the unborn, if I can't talk about the value of faith in everybody's life, 
And there are times, the only way you get through the darkest moments is on both, is on both knees. Uh, you do have to have divine intervention. There is no other place in the world that I think you can look at and say, men could not have devised this form of government on their own. It had to be divine intervention. It just had to be. And so why did it happen here? I can't tell you why it happened here, but we have been blessed for so many years and for so long and in so many ways, what disturbs me more than anything else, that we're starting to think, no, that's not really who we are in America. That's not real. This, sometimes these things just happen. And really men, men have the ability to govern themselves and are fair with themselves. Well, listen, if men were angels, we wouldn't have to worry about putting all these different laws into place and safeguards into place. But uh, I've always thought that the way I was raised, uh, being brought up in the Catholic Church, and I, I try to go to Mass every morning because it gives me that half hour, 40 minutes to actually sit and get some peace of mind and some direction in my day uh, without all all the, the noise and, and the confusion around you. So um, it's just been the stable of my life. And my parents were that way. My grandparents were that way. And our extended family was that way. So again, I, I'll go back to what I said. I am, I feel I am one of the most blessed individuals. And it was nothing I deserved. It, it happened to me. I'm thankful for it. But it does make you think about, well, you know what? If you really feel that way, then you're responsible for being here, and you better do something with that time that the Lord gave you. And don't sit back later on and say, I wish I had done something. And I sat in silence when I should have stood up for, for people. And I always think right now, especially when it comes to the pro-life movement, if we're not standing up now, when will we stand up? And if we don't look at what's happening right now in our country and saying this doesn't reflect in any of the values that we've had, our faith-based values are so strong, never, ever turn your back on that or think that things are going to work themselves out on their own. It is a disaster right now, and we got to get people thinking the right way. I mentioned your wife, your children, your grandchildren at the beginning. Um, how about the balance for you between home life and Washington life? Has that been a challenge for you? How, yeah. how, what do you, yeah. have you, how have you done that? Well, it, 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 is, uh, it is a challenge because I really enjoy spending time with my family. But the, the other side of it, I'll go back to what I said earlier, you know, there are certain times in your life that... Uh, you can really do things. You can develop policy that's going to protect not only your your children and your family, but the, the other people in your community and, and the people in our country. So I think that there's a calling that takes place. Now, this is, by the way, this is not me beating on my chest and saying I'm the guy to get it done. Uh, I have 435 colleagues here in the House. Uh, we all have uh, certain responsibilities and duties, but I, I just think that uh, there's there's always going to be a time that you look at where you can spend your time the best and what you do most. Now, I never, ever, I, I, with the rule we have within the offices, Sundays are, you can't touch those. Those are the, the days that we, we don't do things uh, politically. But other than that, there's a lot of time that we spend doing it. But my start my day every, every day, 7 o'clock Mass, which is really good for me. A, a good friend of mine and I go to Mass every day. Uh, there's something in strength that comes from being able to sit down and pray and be able to at night uh, kind of collect your thoughts and, and really put it in the perspective of it's not about me. I mean, and I, it's, I've, I've, been, I've been placed in a position where uh, I can help develop policy that makes sense for not just future generations, but for this very generation. So there, there's a compromise. My wife uh, has been very generous with her time, and she takes, uh, she takes a lot of her own personal time to fill in where I can't be there. But uh, you know, I've got 10 grandchildren. It's always good to be around them. And I think most grandparents feel the same way. It's great to be around them. And they, I mean, they're a lot of fun. 
but it's also good when they go home. <laughs> so you say, you know what? Uh, I really enjoy having them around me. I have a lot of fun with them. I spend a lot of time with them. But I'm at that point in my life, you know, where there is that time then where they go home and, and we, we stay in our home or we go to our home and, and, uh, and rest. But uh, no, it's been a fabulous life. It really has. Uh, it's not all, not perfect. Uh, there's been times that I've wondered about, you know, how am I going to get through the next day? Uh, whether it be business or personal life, and you start losing people around you when you lose, uh, when you lose your parents, your grandparents, when you lose a, a, a sibling, uh, you really start to put a premium on the time that you have and making sure that there's never a day that you said, boy, I wish I had spent more time with them. Uh, you're never going to have enough time. But the time that you do have, use it the right way. So no matter what the future holds, whenever your time in Congress does come to an end, what's the one thing you hope your constituents will look back and, and remember you by? I think kind of like a doctor, do no harm. Uh, you know, and, and say, you know what? He was there looking out for us. Not looking out for himself, but looking out for us. He understood who he was. He understood who we were. He understood what our values are. And he understood that those were always going to be in play. And that at, at some point, you have to stand up and, and come to the forefront to fight that battle. But, you know, being in public service, and it really is public service, uh, it can't be selfish. It, it cannot be about you. It does have to be about the people you represent. And the other thing, I think you have to look back over your shoulder at all those that came before us and the sacrifices that made that they made. And to think that somehow, if you think you got here by yourself or that everything you have was your own accomplishment, I say, no, 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 that's not the way it worked. And a lot of others came before us, and there's, we, we have to be thankful for that, but we also have to be aware of those coming after us. I would hate to be the person that in a relay race that said, you know what, if he had just run as hard as he could, we would not have lost the race when he handed the baton off to the next generation. That's really what we all do in every sense of what it is that we do, whether it's a parent or, or some other member of your community, you want to make sure that you're doing everything you can to make it easier for the, the, the race coming out or the people coming after us and been thankful for the, for the generation that came before us. Congressman Mike Kelly represents Pennsylvania's 16th District. Congressman, thank you for letting us visit thank today. Thank you. It's really nice being with you. Thank you for what you're doing. This has been Love Closer Look. Find us online at klove.com.